0: Intro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them, and... Chris, any. And in our time of great need, because we've been virtuous individuals, Chris has shown up to grant us one wish, which was to have a third podcast guest who I did not need to arrange too far ahead of time. Forever.
1: Yes.
2: I'm uh, into doing acts of magic like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess I had to make a call there, right, about whether to try to make an Oh My Goddess joke or a Hellblazer
3: joke. (laughs) (laughs) Split
0: the difference.
2: Some amount of each.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you could just make a joke that references this fanfic, but yeah, this is a bit of an odd crossover. You know, not something I would have predicted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of how the authors describe it, too, in the author's notes at the end. Um, mm-hmm. We may as well introduce it here that we're reading Dire Fates by, uh, is it David Ty and Rod M? And apparently some other people were involved in various, like, proofreading and planning stages. And it's a Oh My Goddess, Hellblazer crossover fanfic from the you know 1990s late 1990s i couldn't quite find a release year
3: yes and it has um probably something that delights you motto, its own web page that is archived yeah well it's... i have a couple of things to comment about that
0: <laughs> go ahead well for one thing way back when i interviewed john biles like I commented on how he was still hosting the Keep.org, which, you know, what is the site that he, you know, hosted all of his fanfic on, as well as like a bunch of other people host their fanfics on. And he was like, yeah, it's just running off of an old, like, you know, a very, very old like computer and still kicking around, but it's probably gonna crap out one of these days. Those were not his words. But <laughs> in between that interview and us doing this fanfic, it looks like the keep.org server crapped out and it's gone now.
4: Oh no. Well, it's
0: okay. I downloaded the whole thing a long time ago. But also, the Internet Archive has a copy of it that we're using right now.
2: And I'm going to take this moment to comment on how much I am thankful for Internet Archiving Tools. They are amazing, and they have helped me on so many occasions.
3: They've certainly helped us. (laughs) Uh, You know, a lot of these things get reposted and whatnot. Some don't but what's super cool is being able to see these old website designs because websites, you know, they used to just be this totally open area of creativity Um, and having what's, what cool about this site is having pictures for each part. It's a three-part fanfic, including the, and then not including the epilogue and author's notes. And there's pictures for each of that. And then there's links to, you know, Dramat, dramatis personae, you know, um, from Hellblazer, from Oh My Goddess, you know, it it's got a whole comprehensive thing, including an art gallery. I just, I love that.
0: It's very thorough. There's a lot to like about this website, um, because you know, you say there's like dramatis personae and such. There's both dramatis personae split into for Hellblazer and for Oh My Goddess and one of the authors introducing the premise and basic setup of Oh My Goddess and the premise and basic setup of Hellblazer. And it's, it, it's way more thorough than I would expect, but it's also very smart because, for example, when I read this, I had no idea what Hellblazer was. I'm talking about, you know, in the late 90s, I'd seen Oh My Goddess. So Chris and or Tori, uh, what's your background with these series?
3: I'll go first because, um, almost nothing. Um, I remember Oh My Goddess being popular, like when I was browsing fan sites, you know, I remember who the characters are and the basic premise, but I never really saw it or read it or anything like that. And then with Hellblazer, like I'm familiar with John Constantine from like some other DC stuff. Most recently I watched, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, which had him as a, a main character in that which was great um but no i never actually really read any hellblazers so yep basically not a lot
2: yeah so for my part i have actually read some hellblazer before you ever came to me with this um not a not a huge amount but i do really like john constantine as a character and i have sort of always liked his his characterization in the dc universe he's like up there with like Batman as like one of my favorite DC comics characters. Um sort of in loosely in the umbrella of DC Comics, I guess, because it's mostly a Vertigo comics
4: storyline, but Trilla, he's yeah. a character in the DC universe. I'm gonna stand by that. Um <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean I, I've read read some Hellblazer, I have
2: read Swamp Thing where Constantine debuted, um, and I have seen some of the same media that Tori mentioned. Um, Also, there was a short-lived 13-episode Constantine TV show that got cancelled after one season, because of course it did, because I liked it, and it was a broadcast network TV show. (laughs) Um, That was, I thought, was quite good, so uh, that's another bit of Constantine related media that I have seen. Uh, As for Oh My Goddess, uh, I'm... I'm with Tori on this one. I have seen virtually nothing related to
0: it. It's something that well, I go
5: about. As,
0: as I implied, I, I saw like all the Oh My Goddess was available in the like mid-90s. Like the original OAV series, the movie when it came out. I was like excited enough about it that I actually bought it, I guess. The short mini goddess episodes, which featured like miniature Skuld and Erd hanging out with a rat. It was fun. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and for a while, I was collecting the manga, like the volumes that Dark Horse came out with. But to my mind, oh my God, this is one of those series where, like, art-wise, it starts off rough, then it gets beautiful, then it gets too polished, and it no longer looks interesting or good.
3: <laughs> That's an interesting way to describe it.
0: Um... <laughs> Maybe I'm just too judgy, but you know.
3: No, it's, uh... it's a preference. That's fine. <laughs> um, now I would like some correction since you have some experience on the premise about my guys is it kind of it's kind of a harem manga right like the idea is all these guys just come to live with this teenage boy and they're all beautiful well
0: it's a magical girlfriend show and it's a sex farce a lot of the time Mm. but it's not a harem show exactly because there's absolutely no will they won't they at any point in the series ever 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 from Moment one, the two main characters are committed to each other with, like, oh. absolutely nothing, you know.
3: Hm.
0: Nothing to get in the way of that except for supernatural shenanigans.
3: That's interesting.
0: I mean, people will try to seduce Keiichi or whatever, but, like, that's not quite the same as, like, a Tenshi Muyo, where it's like, will right. I choose Ryoko or Aieka or these other characters who don't really like me? Like, <laughs> not that kind of thing. Right. Um... Oh, yeah, and I, I've read some Hellblazer also, and I also enjoyed it. However, I do just want to share that I pulled up the John Constantine Wikipedia article, and I'm completely horrified by the series, by the
4: titles of the comics that Constantine has starred in, which are, in order, Hellblazer, Constantine, Constantine,
0: Constantine colon the Hellblazer, oh yeah, the Hellblazer, oh. and John Constantine colon Hellblazer.
3: Right? Like,
0: uh, I noted I noticed. I, I can't stand it. I hate it now. I
2: hate it <laughs> I have to agree. Uh... That's, that's pretty atrocious. I knew, I didn't actually know that they started doing the whole subtitle thing, where they're like, we will throw all of the titles together. Make sure that you know <laughs> what this thing is.
0: <laughs> Constantine, colon, the Hellblazer, comma, John Constantine. <laughs> yes.:
3: Uh hmm um, what legends are made of? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't, it's, it's like I read the whole title.
0: I but. understand switching from Hellblazer Constantine because once he's a popular enough character, you want his name on the book. But like, mm-hmm. maybe then you can just go with Constantine and continue with that or something. I don't know. I don't know, DC slash Vertigo.
3: I mean, I almost feel like they should have just titled the series Constantine to begin with, so they didn't have to worry about all that. Or, I don't know, just gone with Hellblazer and gave it some interesting subtitles. Eh, whatever.
1: Right.
4: Okay. Anyway, um, I guess we can go back to
0: the fanfic then. So we're coming at it from pretty different places. Like, I definitely am more familiar with Oh My Goddess, but kind of familiar with John Constantine. Chris, it sounds like you're, you know all the Constantine, but you're not particularly familiar with Oh My Goddess. And Tori, it seems like you kind of remember some of both, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, very little of both, basically. Uh, probably more more of Hellblazer, yeah. That, oh my god, I say never actually experienced it outside of knowing the fan culture, so.
4: Yeah. Fair
3: enough.
0: Well, anyway, like I was saying, that's why I feel like it was smart, if unusually um, conscientious of the authors to, like, have such introductions segmented out before the fanfic. That having been said, I didn't read them this time. I read this series once when I was much younger, like I said, so I remembered it, and it's fairly well-regarded. And, of course, you know, it's got a cool website, which means that's enough reason to think that it might be good all by itself. Um, (laughs) But I just jumped right into the fanfic. Which, like you said, is divided into three
3: parts. And I think if you have some familiarity with these characters, that's really all you need, especially John Constantine, mostly. I feel like the Oh My Goddess characters are they kind of pop in and out basically except for Scold, mm-hmm. but you kind of get an idea of who that is pretty quickly so
4: now tori as the person who seems like you
0: might have been the most confused can you explain the setup for this story and how it starts
3: out well it's I don't remember the first scene. I'm looking at it. Let's see. I mean, basically the whole thing is that you've got the goddesses from Oh My Goddess uh, being told that there's going to be an important figure, right? And that figure ends up being John Constantine. But like, not everybody, they don't know who he is yet. They they get this prophecy type thing of a trench coat figure wreathed in smoke. And because I don't know the goddess characters, I can't remember specifically how that comes in, I will say that Bell Dandy does not feature in this hardly at all. She's uh, one of the goddesses that Oh my goddess! She's like in a she's resting the whole time, having just like stopped a tsunami or something. So the I, main goddess that features is Skull, who apparently is a little girl.
0: I appreciate in the author's notes that like. They, they kind of commented that when they were planning out this story and, like, knocking around ideas, they didn't know what to do with Bell Dandy, so they just found an excuse to sideline her for most of it.
3: And I mean, you could tell that's what they did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's consistent with Oh My Goddess lore. Like, they, there's a natural disaster in Japan that she tries to help stop, and then she sleeps off when she, like, overuses her powers. Her way of recharging energy is sleeping, which is much, a much worse way than eating ice cream. I just want to throw out there. Um, but yeah. it's, like, internally consistent. I was just surprised in the author's notes they didn't say, oh, yeah, we sidelined Bell Dandy because we didn't know what to do with her And also, she's just hella boring. Mm-hmm. They were polite enough not to, like, add that part in.
3: It's funny because I was wondering the reason they sidelined her the whole time. And at the end, yeah, I was like, oh, she just didn't have a role to play. But I was a little skeptical of that as well. Like, if she doesn't have a role to play, then, you know, what sort of character is she, I guess? Well that's a good question, Tori.
0: And I feel like that is part of the issue at hand here.
3: Right.
0: Uh, she's
4: nice and she loves Keiichi. We're done here. That that's spelled handy. Uh,
1: got it. Oh uh, yes, I see. Two personality traits.
2: I mean That's uh, a. <laughs> I I mean charitably. Charitably through <laughs> two personality traits.
0: Uh, she's basically like Kasumi Tendo, right? Which, who also does not tend to feature in too many stories Um Got it Anyway, wh- what were we saying? Yeah, it, the, the details of like How people try to get involved with Constantine Are a little bit more involved with than that Where like, the demon, the demon Mara Who is a reoccurring character Has some plan involving Kind of pointing out to Constantine That like, hey, there's natural disasters happening around That shouldn't be happening, there's an earthquake in Britain That's weird That tsunami in Japan? How about you go do something about that or something? And he's like, I do not want whatever you're selling. Go away. But then, like, Erd follows Mara, because, you know, she notices Mara is, like, off doing something. And then, like, Skuld gets deus ex machina into the plot by the phantom stranger.
3: Right. Well, which also is how Constantine gets involved in a way, too, because that's the first scene, is he... Gets this note from the phantom stranger that like something needs his attention a, basically a dream
2: message yeah um, <laughs> which is a a very strange scene in general because it's a dream in which it's sort of like implied that the first of the fallen is invading constantine's dreams uh-huh. but then gets interrupted by the phantom stranger in order to get this message and then just sort of like politely bows out while the friend and stranger gives the message and i don't i don't know how consistent all this is like i i didn't i really should because i hear it's a really good storyline but i didn't read the first of the fallen storyline but he never really struck me as the sort of like he's he's the devil he is satan um doesn't really strike me as the sort of character who you know, like, nicely steps aside for other people to give their important messages.
0: I think part of the vibe there was going to be that, like, was supposed to be that, like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna torture Constantine later. Like, you know, he'll get back to it in no hurry. But even so, yes, he's very polite to the Phantom Stranger, specifically.
3: There's sort of, like, a vibe in this whole story that, like, the entities of heaven and hell all sort of, like, not necessarily work together, but, like, have, you know, sort of a respect for each other, right? Like, they're sort of just like, oh, yeah, another supernatural person. Let's just, like, do the things we do. I know you're evil, you know, whatever. Do your evil after I'm done with my thing. Um, It's kind of interesting. I like it. I think
2: that actually does sort of get at one of the strangenesses of this plot, which is I think they're trying to mesh with how Heaven and Hell work in Oh My Goddess with how Heaven and Hell work in Hellblazer which are right. very different, <laughs> vastly different.
0: Yeah, the, the cordial relationship you're describing, Tori, is definitely coming from the Oh My Goddess side of things, right? Where, like, Erd and Mara, like, grew up mm-hmm. together and were childhood friends, and, like, you know, they don't, they're not averse to hanging out or whatever. But you're right, Chris, that's really not the Vertigo Heaven and Hell. Um, and the way this fanfic is crossing over is one of those ones where it's like, it's trying to just let you, like, you have to make the leap that the heaven in Oh My Goddess has always also been the Vertigo heaven, and it has, just has never come up until now. And, you know, the heaven and hell in Constantine have also always been the Oh My Goddess heaven and hell, and it just hasn't been relevant until this story. And, you know, Vertigo heaven definitely does not run off of a supercomputer. Like, <laughs> or anything like that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Amongst other things, uh, I mean, Hell is pretty... Uh, like, both Heaven and Hell are pretty suspect of doing some pretty nasty things to Earth. Like, Hell is, uh, Heaven is not necessarily good in the Vertigo Comics version of it. <laughs> right. It's got, like, justice and purity and whatnot, but, like, not necessarily... Uh, I mean, to put it bluntly, on the side of the angels.
0: Well, I feel like our kind of the difficulty getting a grip on order of events in this first part of the story. I feel like I need to complain about that a little bit because there is a fair bit of like someone popping into bug Constantine and Constantine telling them to sod off. And it happens like five times in this first yeah. part of the fanfic. Cause you've got Mara, you've got Erd checking in cause Mara was interested. You've got Payorth who I want to say two things. It's impressive that she's around because even in the author's notes, they said, like, she's not even in the English translated manga yet. But also, there's no reason for her to be around. She has no role in the plot whatsoever. You've got the Phantom yeah. Stranger. Like, I feel like maybe. Oh, you've got. I uh, mean, the first of the Fallen bugs Constantine, but he's got an agenda. Like, it just happens over and over in this first part of the fanfic that, like, Constantine doesn't want to get involved in whatever's happening here. And everyone else thinks that, like, wants him to be or wants to know what's going on because other people are interested in him. And so. A plot, as such, doesn't really happen until Scold shows up. I would say, and as we've uh, as we've indicated, even... Scold Scold shows up because the Phantom Stranger tells her to go seek out this trench-coated man and stick with him. Um,
4: and she's like, "Okay, Phantom Stranger," basically. And I should say that this is one of the parts, I, I like.
2: Constantine's reaction when these supernatural entities show up are various stages of, like, like consistently in the fanfiction, he is just telling people to piss off immediately. I feel like that doesn't quite show the level of um, at least, like, trying to charm people or get information out of people that Constantine portrays. Like, outwardly. He certainly doesn't like either of the the bosses of the entities that show up. Like, he's not on either anyone's side. But, like, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't at least try to work an angle with these people. Whereas in the fan fiction, he's just consistently... Like, there's very little Constantine charm. It's mostly Constantine is just already pissed off. And then he's pissed off for the entirety. Which is, <laughs> you know, to some extent consistent with his character. But, like... It would be nice to see that side a little bit of Constantine before he gets to just be a all of the time.
3: <laughs> you get the impression throughout this whole thing that he just really did not want to be involved with whatever was going on, but people kept trying to drag him in. To be honest, it feels like the majority of the plot is people just mm-hmm. trying to drag Constantine into a situation for reasons they don't understand and he doesn't understand.
5: Yes.
0: And... I think we could almost move into part two then, unless there's anything we want to add from kind of the setup chapter.
3: Not really. I mean, the the main things, I don't even remember if this starts in part two or part one, but I feel like the majority of what happens in the fanfic is that and Constantine hanging out with Skull. I don't know, maybe that starts in part two. Well, that is part two. Skull shows up at the very end of part one. Got it. And at that point, part
0: two, I would say, is a little bit more of the same in terms of like, constantine's still not wanting to get involved and still kind of at some point he kind of flails around he starts to like try to like get some information on what's going on but it's also kind of a buddy cop thing where it's like oh the the aged cynical you know wisecracking drinker smoker ex-punk guy and the like innocent mechanically inclined ice cream loving goddess and like them forging a relationship of mutual respect and or affection to some extent i would say is definitely it's kind of the heart of the story and that's what starts here in this in the second part
3: yeah and it's got a call back to um constantine's like Forber thing that happened where he lost a, a young girl to hell and i don't know Newcastle.
2: castle cool. Newcastle just keeps coming up. Yeah. It's apparently the only thing about the backstory of Constantine that anyone needs to know.
3: Apparently, yeah. <laughs> That's a big thing in DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Too,
2: it's a it's like, a big thing yeah, in Hellways. Yeah, it's, 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 it's,
1: it's like it's sort of a defining backstory moment, but um yeah, it it makes sense that it's it's
2: relevant here. Um
3: Right.
2: It's funny though, in in uh like the way that Constantine treats sculd throughout the this this part two of the storyline, like before they sort of become friends,
1: become unlikely friends, Constantine is very um like one of his friends, Chaz, I think mentions that around like chaz's children like
2: Constantine was always sort of careful and on pins and needles and like because of how everything went bad in Newcastle, sort of treating them like they're made out of glass. Uh, he doesn't really show that sort of regard to Like, he wants to leave her behind and, like, make sure that she's safe, even if that means sort of abandoning her at certain points so that she doesn't go with him. Um, but he's also, like, very just continuing to be the same Constantine around her where he's, like, just swearing openly in Mm -hmm. front of her. And it shows about, like, a much more casual regard for her than that one comment from Chaz and I think, like, the character's backstory shows. I found that a little bit weird, but, I mean, I think it works out in the end.
3: I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of interesting because, like, considering she is a goddess, you know, as well as a little kid, the fact that he wants to leave her out of the, you know, the fights and the danger is a little bit stranger, you know, him drinking and smoking and swearing around her is something that comes up later. It's kind of funny. Like, I guess they're all sisters. The older goddess sisters get mad at him or gets smoking. mad at him, but then doesn't really feature. But, the one mad thing mad that him, I know like, about
2: Oh My Goddess is that the goddesses are based on the Norse fates, right.
1: which they're all sisters. So that that checks out enough
0: <laughs> well yeah eventually eventually constantine has to piece that together and i was kind of expecting you know some reference to the other vertigo figures that are the three right i mean they show up in various guises but the fanfic doesn't try to link these three the norns to you know the fates in other vertigo type incarnations Yeah. In fact,
2: actually, it takes Constantine a very long time to piece together. Like, they come up with this excuse for Constantine where he's like, doesn't generally deal with Norse entities. But like, that's a very... Not untrue, but you'd think he would recognize. (laughs) It's a very weird thing. Like, you know, these are notable figures in Norse mythology, like, uh, you know, people who casually know Norse mythology will at least understand that the fates exist, maybe at least know one or two of their names. And I will grant you that it is a bit of a stretch to get from Beldandi to Varthandi. (laughs) (laughs) But
0: Skål is just scold, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Most of them, yeah, relatively the same. I think the biggest sticking point for him, because he doesn't realize this until... I want to say he doesn't realize it until the end of part two or part three. Uh, And there's only three parts in this. But... I think the biggest sticking point is that he doesn't seem to understand computers and he realizes the, the I guess this must be a thing from Oh My Goddess is so that the Yggdrasil is a computer that runs, you know, runs the world basically. Mm-hmm. The world computer, as it were. And he's just like, Oh, like it takes him a long time to connect the dots that the computer is like like Yggdrasil the world tree or like the you know the controlling power of the fates. That's interesting.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, but sort of the computer has all of the powers of the Fates or does the job of that the Fates do
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> in the mythology. Yeah.
0: And their job is to maintain the computer, right? Yeah, exactly. Right.
3: <laughs> but they even admit that they don't really do that. That <laughs> the computer basically maintains itself. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, we'll we'll get into the plot there, but it it does it's it's one of those things where I feel like this the Oh My Goddess series does not sufficiently address this. Like, these goddesses have jobs, but then in the series they just kind of stop doing those jobs. And this fanfic is kind of trying to reconcile that, where, like, they're supposed to be in charge of Yggdrasil, but then they just hang out on Earth, like, on extensive vacations. And so their justification in this fanfic is that The computer runs itself, and if there's a problem, if there's like an error, if it runs into like an issue, then we are supposed to get a a message and we go up and we patch it. So they're like, they're more like the people who run the network at a hospital who like are on call all the time, but they don't like hang out all day at the hospital, you know, just looking at the network.
3: Except, you know, in that scenario... That person would probably get called in all of the time to fix problems. Where it seems like for these guys, they're just sort of like ignoring it for the most part. Like they're just assuming that the computer will alert them that it has an error. Right.
2: Well, no, I think that the implication that they had in the fan fiction was that there was someone, there was a physical person who was at least supposed to go in and check on the thing every once in a while and send. And it them turns the out there and was. Something was wrong.
3: Yeah.
0: Yes! There is someone going <laughs> in, which we'll, we'll get to, I guess, in a little right. bit when we get to the climax of the story. Oh, uh, you mean when the actual plot happens? Yeah, when the when it actually starts getting interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say, it started out really slowly for me. I started getting a little more interested yeah, part right two, in part two. And in part three was when I was actually interested in what was going
5: on.
3: I agree with uh, that. But that's, like we said, that's because part one and two are mostly, like, it's just the push and pull. What I did like in part two... Um, was Skold and uh, Constantine's relationship. It's actually pretty cute. They do a lot of character work with him, like, basically trying to get her out of danger, so just telling her off all the time, like, get out of here, kid. Go play with your dollies. And then eventually... They okay, it's never have, quite
2: that bad. But... He
3: literally says that I'm looking at this quote. <laughs> when. Around when they first meet, he says, "Go play with your dollies." Okay. But anyway, yeah. yes. Okay. Gets, like when
2: they first meet, yes. He gets better okay. very quickly,
3: and they start to have a really good relationship, which is pretty cute. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, um, yeah. So their relationship, he eventually kind of plies her with ice cream for some information, and the first time he tries to ditch her, but then you know, like uh, he can't because she's tracking him, and she can travel through any liquid, so that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the the oh my goddess characters tend to have very specific powers and weaknesses in terms of like how they do things so like they can all teleport but through different physical objects or you know um they they recharge their energy different ways and school's is ice cream right um yeah definitely front of the line when they were handing out power recharging methods (laughs) (laughs) when you look at the three of them you know, Skull describes, like, oh, yeah, she, she gets it through ice cream, and, like, her big sister, Erd, gets it through drinking alcohol, which is fine, except that then she gets drunk.
5: Right. And, you know, Beldandy gets it through
0: through sleeping. And, like, it literally does seem like it's an RPG where you're, like, buying your flaws. And it's like, you know, Erd is definitely getting more points, and Beldandy's definitely getting more points than Erd, which is why she's the most powerful <laughs> here.
3: Yeah. What's interesting about Skull, though, is I keep thinking, like, does she get sick on the ice cream? Because, like... Skull gets drunk on the alcohol, so... Right. That's a good but question. That, or sorry, Erd gets drunk on the alcohol. It never seems like Skull gets sick from eating too much ice cream. She will literally eat, like, quarts and quarts of ice cream, which would make a person, a normal person, sick. Eh, anyway, just thoughts.
0: Yeah, that's why that's the zero-point flaw. Like, the, the just baseline, how do you recharge energy? <laughs> mm. Yes. Well, no, it's an advantage. You get to eat as much
1: it's ice cream as you want without getting
0: sick. Right. Commonly <laughs> available material, no negative side effects. Does not incapacitate you. Um, of course, Skull doesn't actually know how to use magic, except for her like teleportation or whatever, so, you know. Uh, where were we? Um, I like at one point—they're well, trying to gather information in this chapter—at one point Skull just lets Constantine on Mudrasil. And right. the first thing he does is Google himself. I mean, you know, the equivalent—like he pulls okay. up his file.
2: Look, his file is already up on the computer in
1: his Oh, defense. that's right. Yeah.
0: And so he he like pulls up like the, the categories, like the, the tabs on this are profile, history, current status, good deeds, and unredeemed sins. And he doesn't even bother looking at anything except unredeemed sins. And like, there's there's some decent comedy at some parts in this in this, and I like given his attitude and relationship towards heaven. You know, his first thought pulling up this this unredeemed sins tab is quote They counted that. Cripes, petty friggin' bastards. Yeah, which I also totally believe from the vertigo heaven involved in here. It's like yes, they're being totally petty about
5: their oh, sin yes. reckoning.
3: Yeah. I mean, especially with Constantine, you get the impression in the, in the comics they did this that. John has pissed off a lot of angels, basically. Right.
0: Someone is definitely oh, yes. actively monitoring everything many. he does and yeah. writing it down every time they're like, ooh.
2: Exactly. Yes, I can confirm. John Constantine has indeed pissed off a lot of angels and Hellblazer at this point.
3: Yeah, but it's funny. I don't really know why. It seems like he's always trying to do the right thing. He is. Well, uh, the angels are. Yeah, it's that.
2: Yeah, it's that heaven isn't I always. So. And sometimes it's sometimes at least a little bit a self motivation thing. Like he's doing things to try to save his own life and yeah, heaven's it's just it's like ah yeah it's fine if you die and he's like i'm not really okay with that <laughs> right, right. <laughs>
5: um
0: anyway in the end he realizes like it, it's kind of an idiot ball thing being passed around where It's just like no one was really bothering to think until just now but constant gets to be the one to like um to put it together that like hey natural disasters like this could this be a problem with Yggdrasil? And Scold's like, no, if there was a problem with Yggersil, we would have heard about it. And he's like, well, what if, for example, someone was using Yggersil, and it wasn't that it was broken, it's just that someone was using it badly or something. And she's like, yeah, we would not get an error message about that. So they go to check on Yggersil.
3: John develops this theory that it, it could gain self-awareness because it's significantly advanced. I thought that one was That's- funny.
0: That's true, and it's also, that's a good fake-out, because I was like, oh, that sounds like it might be what's happening, because at the start of right. the first two chapters, there's been a little, like, vin- like one paragraph, two paragraph scene from an uncertain perspective, where something good was trying to be done to a person, but it resulted in horrible tragedy because other humans reacted badly or something, and, you know, like, oh, the, someone, someone was promoted, but someone else lost their job and caused a mass shooting, like, that kind of thing. Um- Now, that's another kind of weird thematic thing between these two series is because the very, very beginning of Oh My Goddess is Heaven rewarding somebody for being good with a wish, like quite actively. And I'm kind of surprised that no reference was made to that. Like, um, I wasn't, I didn't think that was Yggdrasil's job to reward good works actively because they actually send a goddess down to do that. Like in person Maybe not all the time I don't know But the point is The Yggdrasil Still Gaining Sentience um, Thing Seemed like maybe a, a good guess
3: Yeah um, Of course that is Not exactly what is happening um, oh, Well b- before we get to heaven They have to get but, Constantine to heaven yeah. And in terms of
0: like comedy I, I did think it was fairly entertaining at this point Where Skull drags him back to Japan and she modifies her robot, her like general purpose robot Bonpei, who can be you know quickly engineered to do whatever, to be like a little go kart shape to drive Constantine into heaven, and it's totally undignified. Um, and of course, the essence of comedy is making serious people look undignified.
4: Yeah,
3: I mean, I think this is funny because. Um, you know, he's, it's not so much that Constantine is such a serious person. It's that he is such a, he's such a punk, you know, he's such a, like a cool guy, essentially. Um, who doesn't like put up with a lot of shit, you know, he just kind of does whatever the fuck he wants, but he's being forced to ride in this little robot go-kart that won't stop. Like, oh, I forget what it does. It like
2: Pulls out a hose and extinguishes a cigarette. Oh yeah, it will let him
3: smoke. <laughs> yeah, it has a little yeah. tiny hose to extinguish a cigarette. Um, it talks in this like yeah. chirpy way, you know. Well, like,
2: like it, yeah, it displays on the screen, but it's like um, won't go faster than like two miles an hour. Right.
0: right. <laughs> Just floating through the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I'll I'll like read a passage here for kind of like the the way this comedy is being conveyed is. Him talking to the, the robot Bon Pei after it says that he can't smoke in the ride. Now see here, kitty cart, I'm about to go running into heaven where I just know I'm not going to be welcome. If this stunt doesn't get me eternal damnation, it will certainly get an extremely rough treatment by deities of various sources. Therefore, I have a right to the cigarette, see? No. Tough luck, son. <laughs> he lit the cigarette. A small mechanical arm tipped with a hose came out and extinguished it immediately. John narrowed his eyes. He could see this wasn't going to be a pleasant journey tell me at the very least you have something to munch on during this trip a robotic hand whipped out and handed him an ice cream cone
3: (laughs) yeah that kind of thing that's that's a lot of what this comedy sort of like i was going to point out you know kind of to you know back up and reverse it um there was a scene i i don't remember if it was before or after this where John witnesses Scold hitting someone with her, like, hammer space hammer those. for the first time. Yeah. And he freaks out. He's like, the guy's going to die. How could you do that? Like, she's like, no, no, it's fine. And, and there's all this text saying, like, she really couldn't understand what his problem was. <laughs> and it's one of those other, like, tonal dissonance things that you get between the the surreality of these sorts of gag anime versus uh, something that is much more serious and real in tone, right because she's got a, a comedy
0: anime mallet
2: right uh, i feel right. like i feel like that one's especially weird because that's sort of like a meta layer of the the humor in those sorts of anime shows i, I don't know if this was like justified in the universe of oh my goddess I said anyway, but like oftentimes you will have things like that wherein something absurd will happen like that and it's passed off as a trope of anime, uh-huh. rather than it being a f- weirdness of the physics of the world in which the anime is taking place. So, like, it's I think we've gotten one
0: more level, more meta. <laughs> it's not quite as bad as it might first seem, because school specifically has a specific mallet, which is a specific tool, that is usually used for whopping bugs. Um, like bugs in the computer system. And so, like... But, yeah, the hitting a person with it thing, it's definitely a genre thing, right? Where it's like, that's not a problem. You, at worst, you will get knocked out. Nothing more serious will happen. Bleeding will not happen in your brain. So, right. yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of both.
3: There was an implication, too, that because she's a goddess, you know, it's not, she could do whatever, right? So right. instead of it strictly being like, oh, a human did this in the real world, it was like, oh, this goddess with these strange powers. So you sort of get it. Like, you can rectify it with the universe that's being presented.
0: And meanwhile in the plot, there's been some background stuff with Mara. Mara's whole plan is just get Constantine to go to Yggdrasil by getting him curious. And she has this established backstory with a succubus, or a former succubus, I think, who uh, got in trouble with Hell because of Constantine, but it's not very relevant to the plot. Um, wait, what's her succubus? Was she some other kind of demon? I She's a
1: succubus. Um, yeah, okay. Ellie.
0: Ellie.
2: Um, shows up in storylines of Constantine that I have not read, but she is relevant to the plot of Constantine. And Constantine did things which, like, sort of got her in trouble with hell. She's already, like, it's hell, right? Right. People She's will like prey on it. you if you want to. Right.
0: And I feel like that's a little interesting because you get. You get some nice conversations between the two of them, including, like, in the first chapter where Ellie's like, do not get anywhere near Constantine. It's not going to work out, Well, I know. And Mara's like, no, no, I'm not going to do anything dangerous. But, and of course it doesn't work out.
2: Well, well. I love that her justification is basically like, man, all of these people underestimated Constantine, but I'm definitely not underestimating Constantine (laughs) and definitely doing the right thing. Right. (laughs)
3: Well, I'm not familiar with the character, but they did a good job characterizing her as pretty cocky. Yeah. yeah. And
0: to be fair to Mara, she does not get in trouble because she underestimated Constantine. She gets Sorry. in trouble because the first of the fallen is keeping an eye on Constantine, notices her being about Constantine, and basically goes up and is like, uh, so you have a plan, huh? Tell me your plan, or I disembowel you and scatter all the bits, you know, into a pit of lava or whatever. Whatever his threat is. Um, and she's like, yeah, okay, here's my plan. And so... Her plan's kind of hijacked by the First of the Fallen. Um. But in any case, that brings us into Chapter 3, because Constantine arrives in Heaven, where he gets into surprisingly little trouble, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: I feel like there would be more people who recognized Constantine and would potentially have a problem with it. Just sort of on a two-mile-an-hour go-kart through Heaven.
3: (laughs) To be fair, though... Constantine goes to hell a lot, where he set a lot of people to hell and manages to avoid trouble. But anyway, It's more ahead.
2: like, it's usually more like a summoning of sorts, like, he'll be there temporarily on someone's good graces. This is a little bit different, mm. but, like, I'll grant you.
0: Fair enough. Right. Because Skull definitely doesn't have the authority to invite him into heaven, she just did. And, but, but I do like the visual comedy, again, of just, like, The descriptions of Constantine flying like two miles an hour slowly across heaven And he like, he even has to like go across the other side of the silver city Because that's where the Norse gods hang out And like various divine entities just kind of look, giving him weird looks as he passes But like, what's he going to do? He's just on his ride, stuck there
3: (laughs) Right Oh, to be fair, they're also heavenly entities, so even though they're probably sneaky bastards, they have an image to maintain. It's not like hell where everybody's just stabbing people in the streets. Like, in heaven, everybody's polite. Sort of like in Portland.
0: <laughs> there's, been, uh, there's been some other plot things going on in the background. Um, like, for example, the Archangels apparently have been extra jerky recently, and Skull talks to um, Constantine about it, and she says it's because since one of them fell recently in Hellblazer, in the events of the comic, the rest of them have been extra militant about, like, everything being just so and, like, justice and, and you know, the will of God and so
4: on and so forth. And um, I like when—sorry, I, 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 backing up to that conversation,
0: um, at one point Constantine asks Gould, OK, so what about the Almighty? And she's like, what about him? he basically just like is mostly hands off unless something goes really really wrong and the justification this series gives that is that like in order to change anything very very major god would basically have to wipe the slate clean and start again And he doesn't want to do that but what i was getting at here is that the archangels are interrogating Erd because they've noticed her hanging out with the same extremely disreputable individual Constantine who Mara is, and they're being really, really aggressive about, like, accusing her of betraying Heaven. And, you know, she's half-demon, and I understand that the the archangels are assholes, mostly. But, like, even so, it's pretty intense.
2: Yeah. I I don't know, like, what timescale this is necessarily supposed to be implied to be taking place along, but... I mean, you can sort of presume that, like, at least a day goes by of them just, like, keeping her sitting there questioning her over and over again about what she's done. And just, like, over and over
0: again of the exact same thing. Um, and so in part three, kind of the first order of business, besides a joke that doesn't quite land about John saying Frigg all the time and the goddess Frigg getting right. upset.
3: Doesn't, I was gonna... Uh
0: that was also like not just the joke
2: doesn't land it's sort of a an act of um relative stupidity on constantine's part because he like continues saying it not realizing that it's a problem that the saying the word "frig" is what is the problem just to an absurd degree yeah
3: (laughs) i was gonna say yeah like some of this story like like we mentioned before the plot doesn't really like amp up or do much until towards the end of part three like halfway through part three but a lot of it is a series of kind of comedy uh vignettes or or not even comedy vignettes sometimes they're horror vignettes like when john's being tortured in his dreams by the first of the fallen but some of those are pretty effective the frigo one um i did chuckle a little bit but yeah, I, I don't think if you take it in context of like who the characters are, and like Constantine especially, it really works. And like Frigga, too, seems like really upset about this idea that people are saying the word Frigg. And it's like, John doesn't even say that that often. It's almost like you would read it as he's doing it on purpose, but I don't know if that's the implication. So it was a little bit strange.
0: That joke should have been that when he's in the Norse area of of Asgard, he he says Frig in a sentence and Frigga glares at him. And like he's like, right. oh, like that's as long as that bit should have gone on. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It went on and <laughs> on with him saying Frigg way more times than any normal person would, especially if they weren't aware the, of what was you know what I mean? Like it was over the top.
0: Uh but but plot wise, Skull got there ahead of him because she doesn't have to travel by very slow robot. And she goes running after to like to confront the archangels who are being jerks to her sister and so when john shows up and like he learns this he runs after scold and so it's just a bunch of people rushing into the archangels interrogation chamber and i i feel like john got out of this a little bit too easy oh yes definitely <laughs> like way
2: way too easy it's a bit of a criticism um I feel like the writers in some senses didn't really know what makes a good confidence scheme. like doesn't really don't didn't really know how, like Constantine tends to breeze his way through s- situations. Mostly, he just shows up and gives a vague threat and then like, the archangels all back off. As though, like, without any backing, without any justification, without even really giving a speech about how he could have
0: something on them. No, they just back off. He comes in and he's like, okay, let let these goddesses go, because you're being assholes to them and they're innocent or whatever. And, you know, they're like, you dare? And all, all he really says is, like, you think I wouldn't have come in here, like, walked into heaven if I didn't have a plan to deal with you? And they're all like, that makes them hesitate enough. But they're archangels. And at least, you know, none of them like him. And one of them actively hates his guts mm-hmm. and just does not do anything to him right there in the heart of heaven. Doesn't even try.
2: Yeah. I feel like if he had at least had, like, some, like, one-time use only protection, he could at least block one blow from a mighty flaming sword.
1: No, Something to at
2: least...
0: Then, like, yeah, and, and then... then keep doing that.
2: Yes, yeah, pretend that, yes, he, he was safe somehow from anything that they could possibly do to
1: him. It, there are ways, yeah, but uh, no, it's just uh just a very simple bluff, not even a very complex bluff. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of this story, though it's um uh, there's many cute moments and funny moments and even gross moments. But as far as the overarching plot goes, yeah, sometimes the conflicts just get wrapped up way too quickly. Um, Well, I was... I
0: did get into the flow of the final kind of sequence here, which I guess we can go into. They go to check out Yggdrasil, and they find out that the issue has been that... uh, Who is it? Raphael? um, Yes. Mm The angel with the red bandana, right?
3: Yeah,
5: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, and the
3: size. Yeah. The angel literally.
0: They all have red bandanas, Amato. They all have red bandanas. You're right. You're right. They do. Uh, Eighties cartoon is not the the most canon. Anyway, Raphael has apparently been the one who's been physically going into Yggdrasil like while they've been away. And but he's been trying to make things better, and it's just been backfiring on him, mostly because humans are horrible, and he's been getting really, really frustrated with with this, because yeah. like he's like ah oh, well, friggin' humans just keep like doing evil things to each other no matter what I try to do to like you know fix fix the state of Earth, um, right. but also as he's been doing this more bugs have been appearing in the system, and that's what's been causing the natural disasters and stuff bugs in oh my god is physically manifest as like six-legged bunny spider things it's just how things go
1: okay i didn't get the spider vibe from the way
2: that they described them but that actually started to sound a lot more terrifying all of a sudden
5: (laughs) actually the
3: way they described them was as eight-legged rabbits so i instantly thought oh those are rabbit spiders yeah (laughs) but i i chose to imagine them more as rabbits than spiders because you know that's a lot cuter
2: well, I thought of them more having the sort of like leg orientation that like, yeah, um, Odin's horse Sleipnir has, sort of where it's like legs, right. Just extra legs in the same sort of orientation that That's rabbits naturally have spiders. legs, yeah. Not like sticking out to the side like spiders do, and like
0: <laughs> Something scuttling like- on them. <laughs> I just posted a picture of a bug jumping through a like a portal in reality. Um, that's the first one that came up here, um, in the recording room chat. There.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: It's a very serious show, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah.
3: So uh, uh, that's certainly something to behold. I suggest the listeners. Do all these
4: <laughs> well, Troy, maybe you can draw Excellent. one as the episode thing. Oh gosh, I'd rather not. Would I? No.
3: Yeah. <laughs> they're definitely not creepy. They're very funny. I mean, they're a little bit creepy, but they're more comic.
0: So, uh, the point is, the point is, I'm going to p- paste another picture with a with a bug in it now. Um, anyway, the other point is that Mara's plan goes off now, which is basically just like she can possess inanimate objects. She was possessing Constantine's coat ever since the time that she like kind of showed up right. randomly to like get slapped down. Um, and she, you know, jams a disc into Yggdrasil to, um, to, like, get a a backdoor virus into it or whatever. Um, and apparently her original plan had been, like, muck some stuff up in heaven and get brownie points in hell, but the First of the Fallen has made this a much more serious business where basically now he's in control of Yggdrasil, or he's about to be, and he, like, shows up, manifests physically there. In the, in the, you know, center of heaven. It is significant so, plot-wise that before he does this, I think Scold at least splits off a mini-Scold to go uh, check out the insides of the computer. Uh, so perhaps you can justify
2: this to me a little bit more than it seemed. Um, like, how powerful a power is this of Mara's? Because it seems like... It's very weird to me It's very like sort of uncharacteristically stupid Of Constantine to have not picked up On what is ultimately a plan With like two steps to it (laughs) Right And Um, utilizing I mean like if this is a power where like Nothing could possibly see through it And no amount of John Constantine's ability to detect demons Which he spends a lot of time doing
1: Manages to catch the shape-shifting demon
0: I mean, look,
4: I'm no expert, but just my... I I don't know about Constantine, because at least she wasn't
0: doing anything. At least she was in no way exerting demonic power at any point throughout this, in any way. But I didn't really buy that heaven would not detect a demon possessing a coat. Like, entering, you know, into right. heaven. Yeah. Like, yes, I didn't really yeah, buy that, like, that she could walk in front of eight archangels and they would not notice a demon possessing a coat. Like,
5: yeah, it did seem a uh, little
1: bit too easy. Yeah. A bit, bit weird. For any reasons. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not above.
2: Like, Constantine uh, does occasionally make some stupid mistakes. Uh, right. But, like, this is another level this is just doesn't seem like the sort of thing that should have been able to like i mean he is a trickster he is a confidence man he knows what a scheme looks like he would at least see it coming from that perspective even if this was the best magic available to any being in the cosmos
3: (sighs) To be fair, I think a lot of what these authors set up were, like, you know, when Constantine realizes that she's been possessing his coat. Which, by the way, I think he would have noticed. Um, yes, that was the know, point. Wearing yeah. Her. Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. But,
3: yeah, literally, come on, like, he would have noticed. But part of the point, you know, to, like, put a little love back on the authors to say, like, it was to set up these little things, like these little things that did kind of nag you from the beginning, like in part one, where he feels like someone's watching him. But then yeah. it's uh, like
2: actually all through it up until this point. And you sort of get these occasional and it feels like I'm being watched pretty much in all of the Constantine scenes.
3: Right. But
2: there's some mention of him being watched.
3: What was a really good one was early on. I don't remember if it was Erd or Pyrrh who showed up to him. But like, someone showed up in the, the video camera. But not, when he turned around, they weren't actually there. He's watching himself in, like, a security camera at a store sort of thing. The window. Turn around, they weren't actually there. But that feeling of being watched was there. But then they acknowledged that even after the goddess went away, he still felt like he was being watched. I felt like that was a really nice, like, subtle thing, you know? Like, to say, oh, I thought it was her, but really, it was his demon coat. <laughs> so they did, they did some good seeding of it. It's just, yeah, I don't know why he wouldn't have known. <laughs> I don't know. I think the seeding got
2: to the point where, like, Constantine should definitely have been suspicious. Like, you felt, you feel like you're
5: yeah.
2: being watched, and he's, like, continuously sort of putting this off as, ah, oh, I'm just being paranoid. But, like, at a certain point, I feel like you should have been, yeah, I feel like I've been being watched from when I was in London, when I went to Japan, like, it continuously throughout heaven. all
1: of this time in heaven, yeah. Yeah,
3: that's uh. a good point. I agree with that.
4: Well, the point is, and now the First of the Fallen is there. And, um... Oh, I'm sorry. There's, like, a
0: moment when Beldandy gets pulled in and is like, oh, you can't... Reformat format Yggdrasil or fix the bugs or whatever, because that would nullify the contract I have with Keiichi that makes me be his girlfriend, which I don't want because I love him. <laughs> whatever, Beldandy, I don't care about your like weird fixation on Keiichi. He's okay. Um, but, you know, Beldandy's in action for what it matters. Um, there's also a point... Oh, by the way, when the First of the Fallen shows up, Hell gets to storm Heaven, which is a big deal. And, like, you got to see some scenes of, like, the, the demons massing, uh, like, preparing to charge heaven. And I kind of like those scenes, partially because Etrigan's around, and he's fun, and he gets to rhyme.
2: Yes. yes. Uh, Etrigan's rhyming parts of about as variable quality as they are in a lot of media featuring
0: Etrigan. So <laughs> I think that's consistent. <laughs> <laughs> and I also... I also like that when the First of the Fallens program makes all the shields of heaven, all the, like, wards and stuff go down, and, you know, the demon army is massed outside, no one still wants to be the first one to go, because, they, you know, they're fairly afraid that it's, like, a, a trap or heavily, you know, whatever. And the solution is, of course, that, like, Etrigan ends up just grabbing a demon and throwing them through the gates of heaven, and when they see that they are not instantly vaporized, then the rest of the army charges after them. That, that's all. Yeah. I like Etrigan. Yeah. Nice to see yeah. you. Yeah,
4: yep. <laughs> Although at
2: one point he does switch from an A A B B rhyme scheme to an A B C B rhyme scheme, and it's just I don't understand. But whatever. You're not <laughs> Anyways. To do
0: that. Hey, is Etrigan always AABB?
2: Um, most of the media that I've seen, but like it was just a very it, it, like in the middle of talking to a demon. it, it just seemed like kind of sloppy, I, I don't know, whatever. It's
3: fair, that <laughs> kind of mirrors the sonnet format, so.
5: <laughs>
3: sort of. Depends. As, uh, so, sonnet format's a yeah, lot, A-B-A-B. I, AD AD I think you're are. right, though. Like, to switch it up in the middle is a, a bit awkward. Unless you're yeah. writing an actual sonnet.
5: I Anyways, I <laughs> moving on. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry,
0: I just want to say one more thing about Etrigan the demon. I just love how consistent it is that the fact that he rhymes all the time is supposed to be a mark that he's actually powerful and important. And like, even though those, those things have nothing to do with each other, it's like, oh, he's a rhyming demon. He's serious business.
3: Look, I could rhyme all the time. Would that make me powerful... That might be difficulty. Like, I was going to try to rhyme.
2: Ow. <laughs> that meter was so strained, I think it broke something.
0: <laughs> that you became pained.
2: <laughs> no. no. No, we're not doing this. Let's
0: <laughs> no.
3: not even okay. try. Me, we're I'm not a powerful, powerful.
2: not-demon, which means I get to not rhyme.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, that's a sign of how powerful I am.
3: <laughs> to be honest, I feel like being a rhyming demon would be like the worst like i have to rhyme and what else all the time stop it. Stop it stop rhyming
0: okay anyway the first of the fallen kicks everyone else out of yggdrasil because he kind of has control over that area now except for constantine crucifies constantine and is like uh, yeah, okay, so now I'm gonna work on, like, solidifying my control here, and my armies are storming heaven, and it's the end times, and I'm gonna torture you forever. Um, now, that means yeah. that, like, there's a war going on outside, and the, the source of tension here comes from, like, Skuld still had her connection to Yggdrasil open on her computer back on Earth. So she's gonna try to work with that. And she's also still got the mini Skold, which the, um... Which the first of the fallen did not notice, who like hops up on Constantine's shoulder while the first of the fallen is busy at the computer, and is like, hey, try to buy some time. We're gonna to try to like you know destroy these bugs and like get control of the of the
4: system back.
3: This is like where I got a little confused. Like, is many scold a thing that exists in the oh my goddess universe, and like also things start happening really fast. Like John starts getting tortured and. Uh, Skuld and Mini Skuld is working on the computer. Like I don't know, maybe y'all can help clarify for me.
0: Well, uh, splitting off mini versions of themselves that are much less powerful but independently able to operate is absolutely a thing that the goddesses do all the time. And sometimes Mini Skuld and Mini Erd hang out with a rat. Yeah. So friendly
4: rat, I assume.
0: Yes, named Gonchan. Yes. Oh. Um. But. In terms of what else is happening, there's like three things happening at the same time, which is that the, the main goddesses are trying to beat back bugs, including like evil black bugs that start appearing because the system is being corrupted. The hosts of heaven, and this is includes the goddesses' angels, which is a thing that but we don't really have to worry about, are physically fighting actual demons.
2: Yes, a lot of names get thrown around, and I have no idea who any of those characters are, but I assume that they're characters, so...
0: I think I think you can safely assume that everybody with a name is a character, yes. <laughs> At <laughs> least in this, in this plotline. <laughs> I think you can safely assume that anyone with a name in this fanfic is a character in this fanfic, yes. <laughs> yes, I yeah.
3: think that sounds right, yeah.
0: Uh, a okay. is well, 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 no, also I... equivalent to A. Tautologies
2: continue to be true.
0: I know but I know what you're saying. Suddenly they suddenly they're like, "Oh, you're supposed to know who gorgeous Rose is And it's like, "I don't, but don't <laughs> worry." Like Yeah. Or, or whatever their names are. Um, you don't really have
3: to know, but it yeah, it but does like, get a little bit messy, I guess.
0: And meanwhile, Scold is like at the computer trying to fix things on that end. And also Constantine tries to distract the first
4: of the fallen by you know uh smack talking him and this is a little bit too
0: successful in that (laughs) the first of the fallen decides to let the computer keep doing its thing and you know the the progress bar keep moving across the screen or whatever while he actively tortures constantine he can't kill constantine because it's a thing in the the setting where like that would that would produce a civil war in hell which would be bad but with his powers...
2: Oh, he also just just wants to torture Constantine indefinitely for all time. Because, you know, yeah. that's how he rolls.
0: And he can do that right now because he has some control over reality without killing Constantine. And so, despite the fact that all those other plot lines, you know everything's going to work out okay. Heaven's not going to fall. The system's not going to be corrupted. School's going to, like, work her programming magic. I'd say the sequence is fairly effective because the clock... Is that Constantine's getting really body horror, terrible, tortured over the course of this? Yeah. And the author doesn't graphically describe what's going on,
3: but make sure you know what's Wait, going on. I'm and sorry, like, did you say doesn't graphically describe what's going on? Well, because it will be they more like do. <laughs>
0: okay, so... never mind. It's it's fairly graphic.
3: It's um, really graphic. <laughs>
0: And so yes. it's actually pretty effective at keeping the tension high, just because, like, the longer this stuff goes on, uh, the more just
3: horribly traumatized John Constantine's getting. I, like, almost threw up reading this. I was walking red, and I was, like, listening to it, and I was just, like, I got nauseous. It was that graphic.
1: Yeah, I, I can confirm it was pretty bad yeah. Not throw-up levels for me But, like, there were some points that,
2: that which I was going, oh my god Do I really want to keep reading this torture scene? <laughs>
3: right, exactly I mean, it was really well written Because it's effective And it was just, like, pretty graphic
0: I think it's effective in adding some kind of, like, stakes And, like, I, I was feeling time pressure Just because I wanted this to stop Oh, right, even yes Even though I know it's going to work out fine In the larger sense like i should say
2: yes i i agree with you that it was very effective at doing that um there yeah uh, there were uh definitely um like uh it's a ludonarrative resonance thing right you're like you want it to stop because it is painful for you as the reader
3: yes (laughs) it worked really well that's i mean i actually this is one of the areas I was just like, kind of why I brought it up is like, this is one of the areas where I feel like the author's writing was the most effective. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I did not enjoy it, but it was very <laughs> effective, you know? Anyway. Yeah. So that, that gets dragged on for a while. And, and it, maybe not as long as I think it does, because like we were all saying, it felt like you wanted it to end because uh, it was so horrifying. Um, so maybe it felt longer than it did. But eventually, we kind of see our way out of that. And and this is where I felt like I wasn't, um, I felt like a little surprised that had things happened so quickly. Like, basically, Skull pops up, right? And she's just like, yeah, the, we fixed the, the it. The mini school comes out of the, the physical system. Yeah. It's like, hey, we did it. And, and you don't know how,
2: you know. It's just sort of vaguely described. She yeah. does as- programming things
3: she did the program i should she say well.
2: as a computer well, programmer it's it's pretty goddamn vague but i'm okay with it from the perspective of most people writing coding a computer guess, it's yeah. pretty goddamn vague most people are not
0: computer programmers <laughs> I, i'm just assuming that it involved at least one of trying multiple passwords until like oh some, no <laughs> <some> <laughs> days, like the first of the fallen you know worked <laughs> Maybe taking an image and enhancing it and zooming.
2: Uh,
0: yep. Um, or
2: conceivably,
3: I would like to cambi- point out
2: yep. that's not how image resolution works.
3: Yes, we do. You okay. can
2: interpolate images, but like, n- n- no, no. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That's for when we do a future. Uh, what show do they always do that on? CSI?
1: <laughs> Fan <Yeah>. fiction.
3: <laughs>
0: I don't even know. We have done one. I zoom an enhance in it. Oh zoom no! And enhance.
3: Yes. <laughs> you would not uh, want to zoom an sure. enhance.
0: <laughs> well, school's only third option would have been to ask the computer what love is, um, <laughs> until it over got overwhelmed in its processing ability. Yes. Yes. Tell it that this statement is false. Oh yeah, something like that. <laughs>
2: um. Ask it to, if it knows what tic tac toe is. But you're utilizing all of the computers. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. The only <laughs> way to do not to play. Yes. There, we go. there <laughs> we go.
3: But again, you you want this computer to keep functioning well, right? Because <laughs> it runs the world. So you don't right, wanna yes. like you know what wanna do you gotta be a little careful. But apparently Skold accomplished it. Um yes.
4: Some and vaguely. Then we've got then we've got some falling action, which um, I liked the black humor of.
0: Peyorth and Urd have to go back into Yggdrasil, and they're like, yeesh Like what happened to Constantine?" <laughs> and you know he's he's all over the room, and then you know they notice that he's still alive, and they try to resurrect him with you know a oh my god it's normal kind of spell, and yeah, I I liked. <laughs> I mean, in terms of body horror, like should I read out this scene? I
3: Yeah, this part's actually kind of funny. I mean, maybe trigger warning, but this is worse funny than horrifying, but...
0: So they do their incantation. Blood remembers bone, the bonds of flesh hold firm. Blood of Adam, flesh of Eve, torn asunder by the devil's hand, once again gather in human shape. Slowly, quiveringly, every part of John Constantine, whether solid or fluid, drew close to the main body and gathered in one place. Even the blood on the walls flowed and splashed and splashed, gathering at the center of John's body. The goddesses looked at the result and frowned. Instead of a pile of flesh, they now had a human jigsaw puzzle, jagged, bloody lines everywhere. Bird sighed. Peyworth shuddered. John's ear fell off. <laughs>
3: yeah but you know before that they had to literally like get all the scraps of his flesh and like lump them into a pile in the
0: room oh yeah that's right it was actually
2: i think it was like mostly earned because i think Peor refused to
0: help (laughs) oh you're you're right that was a good line right I, i forgot at the start of that scene the two goddesses looked down at the reassembled body of john constantine actually that was an exaggeration it wasn't so much reassembled as it was piled into a stack.
3: (laughs) yeah right that's the part i thought was funniest i mean i know because like i said just before that the torture i i felt like i was gonna throw up but but that came up i just like i had to laugh you know it's just a reducto ad absurdum it's it's just bizarre
2: (laughs) yeah i feel like though some of the humor in this scenario comes from that sort of clash that has been happening between the Physics and world of Oh My Goddess And the physics and world of Hellblazer It's like it's absurd to see These characters doing
0: something
3: Like that
0: Right, Having to deal with something that might happen in Hellblazer (laughs)
1: Yeah exactly Right
3: Right. They sort of do They're just sort of like ugh Alright guess we gotta do this now Well you know
0: And then there's a conflict because This experience was supposed to be Really terrible and John Constantine's soul doesn't want to come back, even once they get Beldandy to help with the resurrection, which helps a lot because she's very powerful. Um, um, yes. And so someone has to go after him and kind of convince his soul to return. And I liked that in this scene, at first Belle Dandy's like, I'll go talk to him because of course she will. But then Skuld is like, no, I'll do it because she's the one with a relationship with him. But then like a lot of things in this fanfic, it's a little too easy for School to convince John to come back because like, he's finally... At some sort of peace here like his soul he's not actually dead he's just in a coma like his soul is just not inhabiting his body but it's a lot better than what he was going through right um
3: yeah uh, all she has to say is people need you basically.
2: Uh, honestly I kind of buy th- maybe buy this a little bit more because that's sort of like the John Constantine thing is yeah. like mm-hmm. as soon as there is a there is an actual need you must do something It's like, oh, shit, I I guess I just have to. And it's like, no matter what it is, I I just have to. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Can't turn his back on it. uh, I agree with that, but I just sort of think it should have been a little more push-pull, considering, you know, like, it, it was either that he should have been able to just come back right away... Or as soon as he saw Scold, he was reoriented and went like, oh, right, right, right. I'm a person I, on Earth, I need to do things. Versus, like, seeing her and having her say one line. I don't know
2: if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, they have, a, like, a bit of but a conversation sense. wherein, like, constant because when this, like, starts, is Constantine, like, barely knows what's going on. Just that there is pain where mm-hmm. he came from, just because his mind has been, like... Fragmented a bit to that extent, but like so, like there is some coaxing that happens, and it's a bit yeah, it's it's still too easy, I'll grant you. Like there should have been a little bit more of an involved process in like getting well, at least getting John to remember who he
1: is. Yeah,
2: yeah. I just and I would have definitely that bought scene.
1: that,
0: but I, yeah. I the reason I wanted more from that scene is because the relationship between Scold and Constantine is the heart of the fanfic, and. Right. I wanted that to land home a little bit more. Right. And, like, there's nothing she says about their shared experiences or what she thinks about him or, like, anything that's kind of, like, really personal except for the fact that she's the one coming to ask him to return.
2: Yeah, And it is, like, it's a really good setup. It's a scene that, like, has a lot of potential. So it's
1: uh, it's a bit disappointing to not see it, like, fully delivered upon.
4: <laughs> um... And
0: then they get out of trouble because Constantine blackmails Raphael into... Well, I mean, Raphael doesn't want Constantine telling the other archangels that he was messing with Igrusil in ways he wasn't supposed to. He doesn't want to fall. And so he helps cover their asses. And for some reason, they let him be... Sorry, am I covering that too fast? Was that too fast an explanation? Not really. Yeah,
1: that's the idea. I mean, we do get like an actually good A relatively good, um, Constantine pulling a, a,
2: like, sort of confident scheme, like getting Raphael in his pocket and telling him the selective truth that he needs to tell the archangels. It's still a little bit oversimplified, I will grant you, but, like, there is at least a, um choice editing that's made in the truths that he tells Raphael to tell to the other archangels in order to sort of get everyone out of trouble to some extent
0: <laughs> Right. I, I really like another thing that happens at the very end of this chapter and I like the follow-up the thing that happens in the chapter is that for some reason, Constantine alone in the usual room while Scold is like helping fix it. And he's like, hey, could you program a back door into the Heaven computer for me? You know, for, for Uncle John. I wouldn't use it for anything bad, obviously. And she's like, well, I, I guess I could do that. I love that John tries to do that. I even like that Scold goes along with it because she trusts him even though she maybe shouldn't. I also like that in the epilogue the next chapter, immediately God is talking to Skuld and God is like, yeah, take those backdoors out of the system (laughs) I I really like that John tried it and I also actually get away with it Yep
2: I I mean, because there was really no harm in trying, what's the worst that's going to happen they find out that you tried to put a backdoor, this this is entirely consistent
1: with what they think about you already (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um anyway, and, and also cute, one of the one of the lines of code that John Constantine wanted Skuld to add was just free ice cream for Skuld all the time across right. all reality. Yes.
3: Yeah, it was and, cute. Skull's and talking when she's to talking God, to God, she's like,
0: yeah. can can we leave that one? And God's like, well. Maybe. Yeah, it
3: was Yeah. <laughs> because God had said like no very Verbally multiple times before that, Taljaan slides. But that one was where it was like, well, <laughs> dot dot dot. So you get the impression that you know they might give in.
0: It's cute. I it's think cute. Yeah. in Oh My Goddess canon, the Almighty is her father. Um, mm-hmm.
4: so you know, might be indulgent.
5: Yeah, that,
4: I'm
1: not sure how metaphorical cool. or literal that is. I have no clue. <laughs> It's not something I have information on, so I get on help.
0: <laughs> um, a little, a few more things happen in the epilogue, but not a whole lot.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's...
1: So weirdly, I should say,
2: Mara and Erd and Constantine... Like, Mara may, sort of, like, gets forgiven by most of the other characters in some way, shape, or form in the, in the epilogue. And I, I just find this to be probably the the biggest of those breaks between Oh My Goddess Fiction works and Hellblazer Fiction works. Because if it were Mara just pulling shenanigans, okay, forgiving her makes sense. But, like, she was indirectly responsible for unleashing the horns of hell upon heaven, which is a lot bigger a deal than, like... shenanigans. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, she says, oh, I didn't, that was, it was not my plan to, like, you know, try to invade heaven and stuff. But, you know, but like, I, a vertigo demon might have that, said, right. that wasn't my plan because I didn't think of it. What a good plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but, like, even then, I don't
2: know, the, there's, like, even in the, when she's talking with Ellie in a couple of scenes earlier where they're friends, they're like, there's this implication that the demons of this. This fiction, including Mara, acts like Hellblazer demons in certain ways. They're, like, tempting the souls of mortals and damning them to a eternity of suffering Mm -hmm. by whatever means necessary. And we're just like, oh, we'll forgive her. She's fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they hang out in a bar. Reasons. (laughs) Yeah, in the epilogue, there's a scene with Mara and Ellie, which I think is justified. But then, like you said, there's a scene where, like, they find Mara drunk at the Lord of the Dances bar, and, like, you know, Erd and uh, other people show up, and Erd and Mara get to, like, reconnect. But there's nothing in the fanfic so far that earned that, basically. Like, there's no... Nothing's happened between Erd and Mara in this fanfic until here, basically.
2: Like... Yeah, I mean, like, we get the sort of vague idea that Erd made contact with... John Constantine, because Mara had already done so, but like no actual
1: like relationship between these two characters happened really before this point.
4: (laughs) And I think they set up something
0: interesting with bell dandy if those two words can go together interesting and bell dandy <laughs> which is like in her little scene that didn't go anywhere earlier which like she was freaking out and willing to like you know fight to protect her bond with keiichi she kind of has a scene where she's sort of like freaking out over the possibility that 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 contract could at some point be nullified and like that she might not stay with keiichi forever as the his wish said, which was, you know, whatever. Um, and I think they might be leading into something else with there, because the sequel, one of the two sequels of this fanfic is a Bell Dandy focused, oh my goddess, um, Sandman basically crossover. Mm. Uh, I mean, The Dreaming, which was that like follow up to The Sandman, not by Neil Gaiman, you know, that I've never read.
4: I don't know. <laughs> a crossover with that. Yeah.
3: Well, that could work as say well as that this worked. Maybe I guess. your
1: obsession with your boyfriend's gone a little bit too far.
2: If you're considering <laughs> sacrificing the life of the guy who willingly got himself terribly tortured to save all of you, that's maybe not the sort of thing that you should consider doing. If you have the mm. power to save said person,
5: right.
0: <laughs> Speaking of crucified, I do like John's line right. I think when he's drunk at the bar where at some point he's like "Geez, a guy gets like crucified and killed and like resurrected to save all of you and this is the thanks he gets and then he's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs>
3: yeah. True that.
2: thought it was, uh, yes, very fitting for John Constantine <laughs> to get yeah. nailed to a cross and then killed
3: and in then order to save others. <laughs> and then resurrected, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it was good. Um, and there's definitely some cute points in the epilogue, like Skuld gets to come to take John at the moment of his natural death to heaven when he's becoming. Oh a yeah, this
2: uh, in the epilogue. Yeah, there's all of these Is like the very speculative. That's, the... that's that's no. Those are the um. That's in the authors. That's notes, the authors. notes, um, never mind. Which are like a lot of speculative. Yeah. Bizarre sort of alternate universe things mostly. Right, right. But Mm.
3: sorry, my bad. Yeah, there's two things. There's an epilogue and then there's the author's notes, which are a bunch of little pieces and vignettes. But let's talk about the epilogue and finish that up. Yeah.
1: So that was in the author's notes. Last thing I want to say
0: about the epilogue. There's a credits. And the credits are set like it goes into script format and it's a jokey scene where Mara and Erd are singing karaoke and Thor is around. I didn't find it particularly funny. I don't really care. But the credits themselves I, I don't know. I, I was just impressed. You've got plots yeah. credited to David Ty and Rod M, who are the authors. By the way, since I haven't mentioned it before, we've read a Rod M fanfic before. Rod M was one of the co-authors of Children of an Elder God, the Lovecraft Evangelion crossover, okay? But then, oh, oh my god, his continuity staff is not just David Ty, but three other people. And yeah. John Constantine continuity staff is Rod M and two other different people credited like this is one of those things that was coming out of a freaking community you know where like they were and also where information about things like tv like anime and comics was not so thoroughly available that you needed to double check with like five different people to make sure that you had everything straight like
1: yeah
5: yeah
0: you know you could just check out the collected volumes of hellblazer in the library or whatever if you had a really cool library, maybe. But no, probably not. And then on top of the continuity people, there's miscellaneous editorial advising, and, you know, various people are listed in the credits there. Um, so anyway, yeah, it seems like maybe it was fan fiction mailing list kind of centered community from back in the day. I thought it was worth a mention.
3: They also mentioned in the author's notes that they were on a some sort of for... it was a MOKU or something? They had an acronym for it, but they came together Muck, as Muck. a Muck? <laughs> I don't know. I do oh, things. Sure.
0: A Muck yeah. is a multi-user... Um, I
4: forget.
3: But anyway, the idea was developed amongst the community, so I
4: appreciate that mm. as well. So before we
0: finish off with our final thoughts, is there anything from the main story because we glossed over quite a few things in the main story. Anything in the main story you want to go back and touch on or comment on?
1: I mean, as for me, I think that we just sort of glossed over a couple of the more interesting
2: slash funny bits of the Skuld and Constantine interaction, because like you said, it's really sort of the heart of the the story. Um, And they did have like a lot of relatively cute character moments leading up to that. Like, I thought it was particularly funny. There's a scene where um, skull is left with John's friends, and they have a conversation about what John likes, uh, and they mention he really likes his trench coat as <laughs> sort of, like, one of his defining characteristics. And so the next time, Constantine sees her, and presumably for the rest of the fan fiction after that point, she shows up in a pink trench coat, um, right. mimicking John, and like, yeah, presumably all of the scenes with her after that involve her wearing a pink trench coat, since they never say that she changes costume again.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing up that scene. I thought that was a good scene, and it, it was a good turning point in their relationship because instead of just Constantine talking to her and them, like, kind of butting heads, she had a chance to get other people's views on him and, like, a little bit about his background that, like, oh, he's, like... He's failed to save a kid in the past, and, you know, that that has
4: influenced him and that kind of thing. And also, Chaz and What's-His-Name are fun. Uh, Rick. Yeah.
5: There's Rick.
4: Um,
3: there's a lot of fun character moments. Um, it's hard to point all of them out. But I especially also like the pieces of the epilogue and author's notes and outtakes where they were just being, like, cute and silly what they did um, for instance in the author's notes and outtakes there is one part where they do like a hellblazer sailor moon crossover where constantine turns into a sailor scout you know sailor sunshine well and, Tori that
0: was the, wasn't that the preview for the sequel sailor hellblazer
5: <laughs>
0: no I, I'm not yeah. joking I think I think that was the preview for the sequel sailor hellblazer
3: I don't think so. I I think that was a joke.
0: Okay, well, Sailor Hellblazer is one of the sequels.
3: Oh, well, maybe it's real. I don't know. They also had a Neon Genesis Hellblazer or something like that, which just involved Constantine um, facing down an angel on his own but he at first thinks, you know, he's like, oh, an angel, I can handle an angel.
2: <laughs> well, no, he, like, yeah, he, like, shows up, like, his sudden, uh, like, the setup sort of thing like, suddenly gets transported into the Neo-Genesis Evangelion universe, and people are running away, screaming and going, an angel, and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I can handle this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and in his defense, the next scene's, like, from Misato's perspective, and, like, all of the nerve agents are, like, looking out on screen, and they're like... You know, Commander, the, the angel, it appears to be backing away and leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the cameras zoom in on the one blonde Englishman screaming obscenities at
1: it. I was, I was highly amused. It's like a good joke.
5: Yep.
3: Yeah. You're right, though, Amado. There is a Sailor Hellblazer on this site that I do not see, but I can't imagine it's the same, because that was such a jokey thing.
4: That's true. Well, you know what? We're about to share our final thoughts about this fanfic. Let me start with this one. Tori, would you read Sailor
3: Hellblazer from the same authors? I would. Um, Okay. I would because of the cute and fun moments in this, and I'm curious to see what they would do with Sailor Moon, of course, being one of my favorite things. so.
0: just checking okay that's a thumbs up there but before we go into more praise what would we like to complain about or what do we think could have been done better in this fanfic dire fates
3: i just think story like um maybe pacing is a big issue Mm -hmm. but mostly that's because not a lot of story happens for the first like three quarters of the entire fanfic and so you actually get like a pretty good story at the end, but it's sort of like condensed together and you don't, to me, I didn't get all the explanations I was looking for. Um, and some of the same stuff Chris said, John doesn't seem as clever as he could be, but it, like, it's sort of like, cause they didn't give him the space to do that. Most of the story was the cute, funny moments, but they could have interspersed that with some plot. And I think like really brought it into a, Elevated it into like a whole and complete story instead of like a series of vignettes is what it reads like more. Even though that's not what it's trying to be, if that makes sense.
2: I do think like a little bit of that was justified. I think like they they went overboard. Um, there was just a long stretch of the, the um fan fiction where very little is happening. But like some of like your Constantine story setup is like something's going on. And it's sort of unknown. Like, gathering the information to know what's going on is a part of a, a Hellblazer storyline, generally speaking. Um, right. But mm-hmm. then they, like, they, they way go overboard with it in, to the yeah. point where, you're, like you said, three quarters of it is nothing is happening. <laughs> um, very little of that is even gathering information. Most of the information that's gathered is, oh, hey, uh, heaven's not planning anything mm-hmm. Hell's not planning anything We've mostly gathered non-information
3: Exactly, yeah Like if it had actually yeah. been information gathering I would have been fine with it But it, yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh well It's still a very yeah. cute story
4: I, I think I tend to agree that Those are pretty much the complaints It's
0: just like slow pacing Kind of hard to get into or enjoy early on And the plot seems a little bit Perfunctory sometimes I. I've got to—I guess moving into praise, though, I've got to give the authors credit for pulling it together as well as they did, because even in the author's notes they're describing, like, it was kind of a challenge to try to reconcile this and find a plot that would work with their source materials. And I always—I always want to shout out, as a praise, these stories where, like, just the elevator pitch is enough to make me want to read it. Um... Narn- for crossovers especially So like I feel like Narnia Labyrinth was one of those Even though that was a little disappointing CSI Charlie and the Chocolate mm. Factory Was one of those right. And uh, the Screwtape Letters Angel Was definitely one of those <laughs> ones Where it's just like yes Tell me that you wrote that crossover And yes I will want to read it Oh My right. Goddess Hellblazer is definitely In that direction for me
3: Strange having little experience with Oh My Goddess I was sort of really hesitant to read this one. Like, I literally didn't think they could pull it together, you know? And they actually kind of did. Like, they kept more of the tone of Hellblazer, but they didn't have to change, as far as I know, the characters and not my goddess too much. But part of that is because they focused mostly on Skold. But that scope was perfect. Like, Skull and Constantine playing off each other was just so much fun, and I really enjoyed that.
2: I should say as someone who has not watched any of Ah oh My Goddess, I found Skull to be a very endearingly written character. Almost mm-hmm. to like to the point where I might actually try watching some of it just because that character right, just yeah. seems really fun and I mean you sort of easy, easy sell and you're like techie sort of happy-go-lucky character is <laughs> not
5: mm-hmm.
2: um this is definitely an appeal there
1: <laughs> for me, but um,
3: yeah, her character was really yes, strong, is, it's uh, kind of made know, the fanfic right.
1: a lot that, yeah. Mm-hmm. From that perspective, I think you know, well written. Um, I should say, uh, I mean, like, I do have some gripes about how <laughs> Constantine was written. Um,
2: like I said, I don't think it was quite as clever. I think, I think they really leaned a little bit to it, like, I'll grant you. John Constantine smokes in basically every scene in the in the comic book, but I still think they mentioned John smoking too much in this fan fiction. It's just a like, constant stream of John Constantine eating a cigarette or lighting a cigarette.
3: Right. Or mm-hmm. I was trying to tell Chris this, what before we went into it, I was like, I know he smokes a lot, but maybe it's just because it's written or whatnot. Because I, I, he's just like he's all, there's always something about a cigarette. I remember this one scene where he throws a cigarette into the sink, and I was just thinking, like, that you don't—you have to fish it back out again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, those moments could be really funny, though.
2: Yes, uh, I'll grant you. Yes, sometimes, like, it, there were—it was well utilized in a lot of situations. I just think that they went overboard in some of the other situations.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we didn't end up quite enough praise there, I'm afraid. But yeah, uh, I think overall, oh, sorry, the fact, the fact that it's entertaining is praise enough. I think.
3: No, it is. It's really fun and really cute, and I would, <laughs> I would recommend it. I would almost say you could gloss some of it to get to the end of the story, but then you'd be glossing over the fun parts with John and Skuld.
2: Sort of wanted to add in that bit of criticism that I didn't get to when we were talking about criticism, but I should say, <laughs> like, I. I I did think that um like also in terms of the the humor writing, I, I feel like that should be mentioned here. Um is like having legitimate moments of humor, legitimate things that like actually made me laugh, in spite of all of the like seriousness or mock seriousness of of the Hellblazer stuff that's happening. Like when fun funny moments hit, they were sometimes very legitimately funny and I mean, I don't always find humor that's written to, like, appeal to the masses to be funny to me. So I guess I have a bit of a selective sense of humor in that regard, or a hard sense of
1: humor to appeal to. But, yeah, I mean, I I, I approve. Good job, writers.
4: <laughs> well, good.
1: I
0: hope they are happy with our treatment of their late 1990s fan fiction that they wrote like 20 i don't know how many 24 years ago it could be um i think this is another one where i didn't do my due diligence because i think at least rod m is contactable if i had really tried but i was kind of in a hurry with this episode putting it together and i did not try so sorry rod m hope it's okay david Ty, thanks for writing back in the day and we're going to close it out for now This was episode 115 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast that just keeps going. Um, Unlike most podcasts, right?
2: I I mean, how long until we have Retro Fanfic Retrospective Retrospective, in which we drag the um, Retro Fanfic Retrospective podcasts out into the cold light of whatever year it happens to be?
0: (laughs) Approximately 15 years. Uh, I mean, more like 13 now, I guess.
5: Yeah.
0: Okay, I guess we'll get on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll mark the calendar. <laughs> Our episode today was Dire Fates by Rod M. and David Ty. You can find it on the Wayback Machine copy of the FanFix individual website, which we will link to in the show notes. It's a nicely done website. I mean, you know, old school. It looks good. Go check it out. The intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited and every word we say is monitored while we speak it by Dom, um, who has to listen to it once and then like three more times in the process of editing. So thank you very much.
1: Also, we're sorry, Tom. We're
0: always sorry, Tom. Well, yeah, but look, we gave her a whole lot more trouble with the last few episodes of recording. Like, things went smoothly this time. I think.
2: Well, I get to still be apologetic in that case, because I had nothing to do with those episodes.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. That's where you can find all of our episodes, and you can probably find them on your podcast service as well. In addition, if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at RetroFanfic, Facebook at RetroFanfic, Reddit at Fanfic Retrospective, send us an email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com, and you can also leave comments reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you would like. We also have a Discord channel that we will link to in the show notes. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. And I'm Chris. We're just three Earth lifeforms trying to be nice to each other until we ascend physically into heaven on the back of a small robot. Until next time, take care.
3: Actually, I wanted to bring up that the very end of the author's notes literally says be nice to each other. What was the moral of the story? Be nice to each other, I guess. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> that jives <with> our mission <laughs> statement. Exactly. Yeah. So I was going to say, trying to be nice to each other like this fanfic author tells us to. (laughs) But, yeah. I thought that was cute that it was their last line. Because I was like, that's our last line.